Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, would be pleasing to you. As we stand under your word, I pray that these words would be breathed full of life by your spirit, that we might hear you speaking to us personally with these words from the cross. And for that, Lord, we need your help. We invite your spirit to be at work. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. I'm glad that we can gather together. Welcome to those joining us remotely. You know, I grew up in a, a Scrabble-playing family, and I married into a Trivial Pursuit family. And, uh, and because of that, I, I'm not very good at it. I just don't have a mind for trivia. And it creates a bit of a problem for me when it comes to family gatherings with the Rosses, because inevitably the game comes out. And so I've had to try and figure out how to navigate uh, these situations while trying to save face a little bit. And my latest strategy has been to suggest we play teams, boys versus girls. And, and why don't I join Julie's dad's team? That's my strategy, because you see, he does have a mind for, for trivia. And what I do is, as he's deliberating about answers, I pretend to, to add my perspective, saying, yeah, that's, that might be right. That sounds about right, even though I don't know anything. And we sometimes win. So, hey, Dale, if you're watching from uh, your road trip, uh, thanks for helping me out with that. The worst part of Trivial Pursuit, though, is when you land on the pink section. I don't know if there's some Trivial Pursuit fans here, but this is the category that it seems even seasoned players of Trivial Pursuit seem to groan when they land on, because it's this arts and entertainment section. It's these random references to has-been movie stars from 40 years ago that I don't know. Like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of these people. Which is an interesting fact, isn't it, that people that used to be famous, used to be well-known around the world, are now just a nobody on a Trivial Pursuit card. It's a little bit depressing when you think about it, that within a generation or two, even if we had influence or prestige, we, we will eventually be forgotten. We will be forgotten which is a bit discouraging because I think we have this human longing to make an impact in this world, to be accepted, to be known, to be loved, and yet so many of the things we turn to to fill that human longing come up short for us. If my identity is connected to the affirmation of others or achievements within a generation or two, those won't hold a whole lot of weight. In this second word from the cross, Jesus speaks a word over this criminal. And I believe that this word has the power to reshape our sense of identity and our sense of hope. And I want to organize our thoughts around those two realities that are spoken in this word. Because here's the hope, friends. Well, we will all pass from memory within a generation or two. The hope of this text is that the God of the universe will remember us. There is deep hope in this text that I, I believe will speak to that longing for us to have significance and to have a hope that endures. So first, I want to explore how this word speaks a new identity over this criminal. As he calls out to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus speaks these words, truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. This is likely a vastly different 
word spoken over him than the words this criminal is probably used to hearing. We don't know a lot about him, but we see his situation. He's hanging on the cross. Clearly, he's made some poor choices. And I suspect that the labels he's used to receiving in terms of his identity is that he is criminal, that he is a failure, that he is worthless, that he's a troublemaker. That is likely the script that he has been told. It is likely the script he has told himself. He seems very aware of his weaknesses as he hangs on the cross. And yet, as is the case for Jesus often, Jesus changes the script. He speaks a new word over this man. Now, I want us to notice how he begins this word as he speaks this new identity. He, he uses these words, truly I say to you, criminal. Now, this is grammar and, and a phrase that, that Jesus uses throughout the gospel. And what I notice when Jesus says, truly I say to you, this is usually used in contrast to another word or another perspective. We think back, for example, to Matthew 5, where Jesus goes through all these other teachings. You have heard it said this way, but truly I say to you something different. When Jesus says, truly I say to you, he is replacing a false belief or a false teaching. Eighteen times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, truly, truly I say to you. And when you look at the context, he is confronting the false teachings of Pharisees or the misunderstandings of his disciples. And here we see these words again. And I I imagine Jesus here changing the script. You have heard it said, criminal, that you are a failure, that you are worthless, that you are worthy of death, but truly I say to you something different. You belong to me. I accept you. I welcome you. You will be with me in paradise. And so, friends, I, I wonder what some of those false labels we come with carrying today some of the narratives or the false beliefs we have heard or have been telling ourselves. We have all heard it said in one way or another that we are not enough, that we have failed, that we are a criminal, that we have made mistakes, that there is no hope in our future. But truly, I say to you that Jesus wants to speak a new word over you. One of the hopeful parts of this word from the cross is Jesus sees you, and he sees us as we call out for mercy. He says, truly, I say to you that you belong to me. I invite you to be part of relationship with me, that there is a, a hope for you in the future. Can we receive that word today, that new identity that Jesus wants to speak a new word over us? So this has the potential to reframe our identity. I also believe that it has potential to now point us to a new hope. Jesus speaks a new hope over us. This is a rather hopeless scene. We see that this man is coming to the end of a very hopeless life, and it's leading to a hopeless end. His death is imminent, as is Jesus' death. And yet, again, Jesus reframes the situation as he is hanging on the cross. He speaks this word of 
a hope that lies beyond the grave, beyond the present cross, beyond the present suffering. Today, he says to this criminal, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is pointing to a reality beyond the grave, a hope that will endure past the cross, past the suffering, past death itself. Past death itself. Friends, I wonder how this this sits with you today. As we contemplate this parting word from Jesus, this hope of a reality that awaits us beyond death itself. Perhaps to some of us that comes as good news for those of us who are grieving the loss of those who have passed behind us, those of us who are facing sickness or nearing the end of life. For others of us, I I wonder if it's something we don't think a whole lot about. We kind of like to avoid thinking about these deeper questions about what lies beyond our present circumstances. The sociologist Ernest Becker says that we live in a death-denying culture. We don't like to face the reality of our mortality. We have all kinds of things that give us the illusion of perpetual youth. We have hair dye and sports cars and plastic surgery and these things that help us kind of put that off. And we, we have in the affluent West all these types of things that make us feel secure, that just distract us from kind of the reality that this isn't all there is. We have entertainment and luxury and comforts that help us just push it aside. And, and one of the purposes of the Lenten season is for us to confront our mortality. We spoke about this on Ash Wednesday. As we speak these words, from dust we came, and to dust we shall return apart from Christ's intervention in our lives. And I, I wonder if one of the reasons we want to avoid this conversation is that we we have some doubts or some, some confusion about what lies beyond this world. There's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of confusion, and perhaps you come just wrestling with some of these questions about the great unknown, about what lies beyond. This last two weeks, I've had a couple different funerals, and it's, it's a really formative part of my pastoral vocation as I'm still kind of emerging from the first half of life to regularly be confronted with this reality of, of our limited time here. It really has the potential to reframe what's important, what's significant, and, and what our ultimate hope is. And because these are scary realities and confusing realities, it is not uncommon for us to perpetuate this denial of death because we have our questions, we have our doubts. I I welcome you in that place today if you come with your questions. You are in good company. I read a reflection from St. Therese of Lisieux. She was a well-known saint and uh, this French Carmelite nun and She wrestled with this question as she was facing her death, and this is what she said to her spiritual director, if you only knew what darkness I am plunged into, I don't believe in eternal life. I think that after this life there is nothing. We see just an honest reflection of a Christ follower who faced with the reality of death, was faced with doubt and darkness and confusion. 
I believe Jesus is anticipating this. Isn't it interesting that when he is about to run out of breath, when his life is coming to the end, one of the words he uttered, what he spoke over us, was this call to hope that this isn't the end of the story. It is said that at the end of life, what people say has more weight to it. And this is one of the seven words Jesus chose to spoke. He wanted us to hear this good news, this call to hope that today, criminal, you will be with me in paradise. I want to spur us on in hope and faith today to consider this hope. I want to suggest to us that perhaps this hope that Jesus speaks over us is not as much a stretch as we might think it is, or as our culture would say we should think it is. I was reflecting on a word from Frederick Buchner actually in preparation for this funeral this week, and it's been a helpful reframe for me as I consider the reality uh, of this hope of, of resurrection, and this is, this is what he writes. He says, once before, out of the abyss, the unborn, the uncreated, the not yet, you and I, who from all eternity had been nothing, became something. Out of non-being, we emerged into being. I just want to pause there. There's a lot in here. What Buchner is saying is once before, this miracle that we are called to hope in has already happened. Right? Out of nothing, we emerged into life. And what Jesus promises is resurrection, which means that once again, this miracle will happen. And out of death will come another realm of life. Because he loves us. In love, he made us, and in love, he will mend us. In love, he will have us, his true children, before he is through, and in order to do so, one life is not enough. God knows. I just noticed a couple things in this reflection that just spur me on in hope, and I think the first thing that Buchner is saying is that if we struggle to get our head around the miracle of new life, we ought to only look at the miracle of this life. Could that instill in us a hope that the God who created this, who called us out of nothing into being, could have the audacity to promise that, that once again that miracle will happen? There's hope that Jesus wants us to hear from the cross. Today, criminal, you will be with me in paradise. This is not the end of the story. The second thing I noticed from Buchner is that he is saying that resurrection is consistent with the nature of God. That God, out of love, made us, and out of love died on the cross for us, went to great lengths to redeem us. So what makes us think that he'd let death end that whole adventure? That in, God, in love, God made us, and so in that same love, he will desire to mend us, to have us as his own, finally. As the Jesuit priest James Martin said, why would God ever destroy the loving relationship God has with you? We see the relational word here from the cross, you will be with me. This is what God desires. And as Paul says, not even death can separate us from that. Might that spur us on in hope today? 
You know, I've, I've spoken a lot about how the kingdom of God is something that meets us here on earth, and I've, I've wanted to warn us against a gospel that is too focused on eternity because it engages and meets us now, but sometimes we also need to hear that part of the gospel. I mean, this is good news, friends, that there is this hope for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, will not perish. We need to hear that, that good news. It's not a means to escape this world now. We want to engage it. It reframes how we live this world now. But this is part of the gospel that needs some airtime today. That in, in the grand scheme of eternity, this is a very short season. And so can we have hope in that? Now again, this, this does meet us here now. And part of the, the story that I do want you to hear is that we don't have to wait till we die to experience the presence of God. Jesus goes on to say, I will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I find it interesting that Jesus actually doesn't use the criminal's kingdom language. The, 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 the criminal said, remember me when, I, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, no, today when you are in paradise with me, uh, you will be with me in paradise. Well, one commentator just is surprised that Jesus doesn't borrow the kingdom language. And I wonder if it's because Jesus spoke so often about the kingdom breaking into this world now that he didn't want us to associate the kingdom just with after we die, when after, when we die, right? It's this both and hope. It's a hope that the kingdom is breaking into this world now, but that not even death will separate us from God finally. Can we receive that hope today? I want to leave us with a call to respond to this hope. And I noticed that there are two different responses to Jesus in this text. On the one hand, there is this other criminal, one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other criminal did not see in Christ a, a trustworthy Savior. He got caught up in the narrative of those around him and, and rejected this call. But this other criminal, the good thief as he's come to be known, rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Can we notice the, the response of the good thief in our text? We see that he has a reverence and fear for God. He humbles himself before the crucified Messiah. He acknowledges his own sin, his own need. He is guilty. He cannot save himself. And in his desperation, calls out to God in his need. And it is that criminal who receives this new identity and this new hope. And so I simply invite you today in your own brokenness and sin and need with reverent fear to humble yourself before God and, and call out to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe that this same word that was spoken over this criminal will be spoken over you. That Jesus speaks these words to you today. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise.
as Paul has articulated in Romans 10. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly, richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May we call upon this Lord, receive his saving word spoken over us of a new identity, a new hope for life with him now and into eternity. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, remember us when you come into your kingdom. May we receive this good news that you are a God who sees us in our need. You notice us even when you are suffering. You always have a heart for those on the margins, those who are broken, and you speak a word of hope to us. May we receive this word now as we now come to your table. We pray in your name. Amen.